Okay, here we go. Lanny D'Angelo here. Uh... Oh, I'm tired. So tired today. It's my own fault. Sometimes I, uh... Sometimes I hit the day a little too hard, you know what I mean? Anyway, um... Oh, boy. I'm exhausted. Uh, there are things on my mind today that I thought I should talk about that, but then I'm not going to because uh, the, the Magic 8-Ball says out comes a cloudy, right? Who knows what the future holds? And uh, it, it, that's been a, a thing. So instead of continuing to be divergent, uh, I will return, of course, to the topic at hand, which is drawing. And in a more specific context, uh, transitioning from an observational drawing to a, uh, an inventive drawing practice. Uh, it's important to understand that I am talking, of course, about representational drawing, subjective, as they say, drawing, which is uh, the drawing of uh, a material world, uh, the observable material world. But as we transition into inventive drawing, we become... Uh, more in the realm of the theoretical observable uh, or the uh, uh, dream world, as it were. The observable dream world, for example, or the fantasy or the, or the uh, imagined uh, world. Uh, the world as it could be, not as it is, etc., etc. There, Okay. It's important, I think, to understand, as I've said, the difference between the inorganic and the organic form. <clears throat> it's important also to practice and, and achieve a level of competency drawing from observational, uh, uh, subjective observational drawing practice, which means, uh, to simplify that, which means that you should be able to look at something and, tr and translate it to a two-dimensional surface using the illusion of depth, etc., etc., and all of the tools in the artist's toolbox come into play in this particular exercise there. When you move into the world of inventive drawing, those same tools come into play, but then they're up to you. You need to be able to manipulate a world that you cannot see and uh, combine Sometimes things that you can see with things that you cannot see uh, in order to achieve a believable uh, uh, illusion. Human eyes very good at, 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 at uh, finding deception. Uh, the concept of trompe l'oeil uh, from, from the French painters there, uh, fooling the eye basically. The, the concept of a, a painting that is so uh, realistic that it fools the eye into thinking it is realistic. Uh, that's what I'm talking about. If you're inventing a reality, that's of some level of convincing uh, trompe to it. A level, not a not a complete, in order to work. Sometimes it can work without any of that, but but it helps. Oh, what am I saying? So what are we what are we trying to achieve here? How does one start becoming good at observational drawing? How does one begin. Uh, and it's a topic I'm... There's so many places to start. I don't even know where to start. But I, I think I think it starts for me with composition 
because that is the artistic expression within the framework on the picture plane, etc. That is the first decision. That's where we start, right? With the first decision. When you're making an observational drawer, you may have something in front of you. The thing, the thing about the human head is that it, it, it has this, I don't know, what is it, 180 degree pivot there and, and you can see quite a bit. And your eyes move and your eyes are curved. So really what you see in front of you includes the periphery. And peripheral objects, as we all know, are not that clear and they're not off primary focus. So when you compose a picture that includes the periphery, it's a little bit of a, a, a fake. It's, an, it's, a, it's definitely an abstraction of what we actually experience. The, the benefit of a, of a picture plane in a frame uh, is that it's a limited space and, and, and the eye can take it all in. Now, you, you'll notice this is a very interesting. If you go to a museum and there's a giant painting or, or a drawing or a photograph even of a large space and it's giant, your human eye can, cannot take that whole thing in at once. You have to pivot your head. You have to turn your eye. You have to move your eyes in order to take that whole thing in. The experience is a lot like reality. So uh, the reason that um, we're able to take in an entire panoramic photograph is because it's about 10 inches wide. And that's pretty good for taking in at once. Right? You don't get a huge panoramic photograph that you can't take in uh, unless you're right up close to it, right? But in real life, you can't see that far. You, you can't take it all in unless you were to float a frame in front of you and only look at the, the contents of that smaller frame. Am I making any sense? Rambling, rambling, rambling. My point being, the picture plane and the framing uh, of, a, of a picture is not exactly the same as reality. There is a, uh, an abstraction of it. One needs to be able to control what goes in that frame. And that is called the art of composition. Which is, what do I show, what do I not show? And within composition there are several aspects. Is framing, which is the thing I just discussed. What do I show, what do I do not, what don't I show? Where does this frame begin and end? What is it containing? What is the container shape? And, and what's, what have I chosen to leave outside of that shape? Uh, anybody who's ever taken a picture has experienced framing. Because even without being an artist, you understand I have to make certain decisions here. And unless you're terrible at taking pictures, which many people are, you at least want to get the person in it. Right? right? They're probably dead center and maybe their head's cut off. But still... You want to get them in there somewhere, right? That's that's an, 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 the act of framing. Right? I understand the boundaries with which I'm working, and I can uh, make choices inside of those boundaries uh, and, and where the edges of those boundaries cut off what I can actually see with my entire head. Okay? That's framing. That's part of composition. The next thing about that is, uh, is staging. And staging is a, is a film and stage term, or theater term. So I hate to use it in, in drawing, but it's so useful, really. Because composition don't, covers a lot of things, covers a lot of ground. You need specifics. Staging is, when you're composing a picture and you're inventing what you see, that involves where you put things within that frame. 
because it's up to you. And even in the observed, you can adjust. So that's staging. Basically, you created a space in which these things live, and then you place the objects or, or subjects, I should say, inside of that space in a very particular way. Frame, uh, uh, staging deals with relationships of the subjects to one another and to the background or the uh, environment or whatever else is not the folk primary focus. Uh, staging deals with the way we compose within the frame, the way we place and position the subjects within the frame and their relationship to one another, right? There's another thing in film that relates to staging called line of action. And this translates directly into picture making, especially with inventive drawing, because the eye of the viewer, the observer, is creating a direct line into the piece. From your eyes as the viewer to the picture plane, the frame, and where you go within that space is another line. So, for example, uh, we have one character in a... I, I don't want to make this all about film, but film is really the one that broke this language down into kind of manageable chunks. Uh, because film involves direct composition for storytelling, which is exactly what artists do, even when they're making abstractions of reality. Uh, there is a line of action within your uh, frame. And that line extends from your eyes and then back to your eyes. And it's an interesting game that you play when you're using composition. Your eye goes into the piece as the observer. It goes into the piece. And then it fixes on certain points. Those are called focal points. There should be a hierarchy of those focal points. Uh, depending on how many of them you have. And the artist should be in control. Of where the eye goes within the piece. From one to two to three to four. To however many focal points there are in the piece. And then of course back out and in again. It's, a, it's an act of balance and harmony and energy. And it's very, very, very important. In a sequential piece, so comics, bookmaking, book illustration, etc., oftentimes the eye is directed to the next piece. And subject A in piece one may be communicating directly with subject B in piece two. And the framing and the composition and the staging and the line of action all directs the observer, the viewer's eye, to subject A in piece one, all the way through that piece one, whatever, whatever secondary focuses are in the piece one, to subject B in piece two, and through all the primary and secondary focuses of piece two. That's a really complicated thing, and you need to be able to control that. And monitor that and understand that. And it's very important. Okay. So, where does one begin with a composition? Did I cover all of that? That's framing, uh, staging, line of action, uh, primary focal, focal points, 
line of action interwoven together in a, in a harmony. They are uh, symbiotic. Okay, uh, how does one begin a composition? Let's say, for the sake of argument, I got a stack of boxes in front of me. Cardboard boxes. Let's say there were five of them and they're stacked up uh, vertically. Composition begins with understanding whether or not the piece is taller than it is wide. And that's very simplistic. And it is that simple. Is the piece tall or is it wide? What is the subject matter I'm addressing here? And that, of course, gets thrown into... into a, 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 there are bigger questions when you're considering the entire environment, the entire space. But usually in some sort of drawing scenario, you're focusing on a subject. So let's just focus on a stack of boxes for the moment in a very white room. If the stack of boxes is stacked up uh, vertically, five boxes five high the piece is taller than it is wide okay that's something that's easy to understand and that's something even photographer even amateur photographers understand if you have a person in an environment and you don't really care about the environment you turn your camera unless you're super lazy you turn your camera to what is called portrait orientation it's called portrait orientation because it focuses on the human figure, which is taller than it is wide. And if you're wider than you are tall, I'm very sorry for you. <laughs> Maybe think about things. Most people are taller than they are wide. So taking a photograph in that orientation makes more sense. You're better using the space, okay? That's the very first question of composition. Is this piece tall? Is it wide? If you were doing a drawing, for the most part, unless you have a square piece of paper, which is not common, most of the time the paper has uh, uh, width, and de width and height that are uh, different proportions. It's a 3-5 or a 4-6 or kind of orientation. It, 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 the ratio there of the... Usually papers are, are tall, uh, and if you turn them sideways, they're wide. There you go. That's your portrait and your landscape, as it's called, orientation. They're called that for a reason. Most landscapes involve width, and most portraits involve height. Good to know. So that's the first question. Is the thing I'm looking at tall, or is it wide? Okay. Second question. Can I find the middle of this thing? And with a stack of boxes, it's easy. you got to find the... First of all, the horizontal... If, well, if you're asking yourself if the thing is tall or wide, and the answer is tall, you need to find the hor Wait. The vertical middle point. That is the midpoint of the vertical axis. Uh, in, in geometry terms, that's the, the... What is that? The y-axis, right? The one that goes up and down. You need to be able to find the middle of your subject. With a stack of boxes, it ain't that hard, especially if they, you can count them and they're all the same size. If they're different sizes, it gets a little bit harder. If it's a human figure, that's even harder. you got to be able to know how to do that, and there is a way. And it's a way that gets a lot of crap and is made fun of in, in uh, uh, 
depictions of artists, they're always holding out some sort of uh, pencil or something in front of them. That's how you do measurement. That's how you find the center point of everything. It's, it's important to understand that. So if it's a vertical thing, it's called the middle. If it's horizontal, it's called the center. On the y-axis, it's called the middle. And on the x-axis, it's called the center. Why? I don't know. I don't, I'm not, it's not up to me. But the point is, it, it's a midpoint. It's a, it's a central point. How can I find the center of my subject? How can I find the point at which what is on top and what is on bottom is exactly the same size? And you do that by holding out a, a drawing or painting implement in front of you. And if the, thing, if the subject is tall, you orient that thing height-wise, up and down. That's it. It's as simple as that. When you hold the implement out in front of you, you're going to grip it with your two fingers. That's your, your thumb and your uh, forefinger. And you're going to leave your thumb sort of free to move, okay? So the other fingers have to be kind of gripping as well. But it's a loose grip. You leave your thumb free to move. And you have to make sure you lock your elbow. Why is that important? Your arm has to be fully extended and the elbow locked. Because... The distance between your eyes and the implement that you're holding out in front of you needs to be consistent. If you don't lock your elbow, there are times when you'll hold your implement out in front of you and it'll be a little bit farther than it is, or a little bit farther, and other times when you hold it out in front of you and it'll be a little bit closer to you. Because your arm is, you know, it's, it has a flex point in the center and it, it moves. It doesn't like to go in the same position twice. So locking your elbow sort of guarantees that. Every time you look at that implement out in front of you, it is in the same position. Okay? Is that simple? I think that's pretty simple. What you do then is you use your thumb and forefinger. So hold that implement up and down if it's a vertical piece, yes? You use your thumb to start making little guesses. To hold a position. So you position the implement, let's, let's say it's a, a, a pencil, right? And you have the point facing up. Point of the pencil is facing up. It's held out in front of you, arm is lo- elbow is locked, arm is in its fixed position, right? Simple, simple. Your thumb is moving along that pencil in a way to divide the pencil as as well, to uh, incrementally divide the pencil. You use your thumb and moves up and down. It moves up and down quite a bit as you do this. All right, you got a range of I don't know three or four inches there with your thumb going up and down the pencil. What you're going to do is put your thumb in a position, put the pencil tip, and align the pencil tip out in front of your face. Align it with the top of or the bottom of the vertical stack that you're looking at in front of you. Now with the pencil tip aligned at the top, let's say it's at the top. You put your thumb down to a point, right, where you are sort of making a guess about where the center of this object in front of you might be. You move your, your, your hand down, sort of, right? Your, your, your thumb down. This is hard to explain. Jesus. 
Uh, it's very simple, but it's hard to explain with words. Vocabulary fails me, as usual. Uh, you move your thumb up and down until you make a guess about where the center point of this thing is, right? So uh, picture this. Your arm is out extended. Your elbow is locked. Your pencil tip is aligned in your viewer, the viewer of your face. It's aligned with the top of the stack of objects you're looking at, and you're using your thumb to make a guess, to hazard a guess as to where the center point is. What you do is you keep your thumb on the pencil in that place, and then you take the tip of the pencil, which was previously aligned with the top of the stack, and you move it down to the bottom. Then you flip your hand over. And you check whether that center point is where you thought it would be. That's one way to do it. The other way is you move the tip of the pencil down to the place where you had your thumb previously, which means you got to remember a little bit, right? This, you have to stick the place in your memory. And then you see if the place where you put your thumb aligns with the bottom. And if it's too small or too long, you adjust and you try that again. That's finding the center point. That's, I know, it's, it's terribly expl it's explained, but, but that's how it works. Using your thumb and an implement. Uh, you could just use your thumb and forefinger if your thumb was like, I don't know, six inches long. But I'm assuming it's not. And therefore, the pencil. That's how you do that. You do that back and forth until you find the accurate center point of that object. And eh, more or less, more or less. What that helps you to do, now how does that friggin' help me? What that helps you to do is understand where you're going to position this stack of objects on your paper. That's what it helps you to do. Otherwise, you're making guesses. And how many times have we all experienced this thing where we start drawing a, a figure usually, or anything, but a figure usually, uh, from the head, and you put it kind of at a comfortable place uh, you know, about three quarters or a quarter down uh, the uh, the uh, verticals uh, paper, the space in your paper there. And then all of a sudden you realize I drew this head too big and I'm never going to be able to fit all of the other stuff because I positioned this head so far down that I don't have room for everything else. And also in, in the scale is all wrong. That's what this exercise helps you to do. Always start with this. It's, it, it makes it very simple to get started. <clears throat> the other important thing to do after you take the, uh, the longest side central measurement is to take the shortest side central measurement. So if you're looking at a vertical stack, it also has a horizontal measurement. And there's a center point there as well. Your mind has to record that center point. You don't get to draw it right away. You have to record it. And the only way around that, until you're good at that, is to make very small drawings in a sketchbook. You do this exercise very quickly. You make very small drawings. You indicate your center points. And then when you go to a larger piece of paper, you understand you've already done a practice run. That's an important way to do it. It's a nice 
It's a nice clean way to do this. There ain't always time for that. Hardly ever, really. So, unless you're doing some sort of long-form project where you don't get to do that. And you don't actually need to. All you need to do is learn how to mark those center points in your mind. This is an act of imagination. And if you ain't got enough imagination to do that, you're probably going to struggle with a lot more of this drawing business. So, with a stack of five boxes that are all the same size, the center point is actually the center of the third box. Yes? That's one, two, three, a four, five. The third one is in the center. And the center point in both directions of the third box is going to be the middle. And you can sort of eyeball the middle of a box because it's easier than a, than a giant stack. Now, when the objects are, uh, are different in size, scale, and, and shape, and they're all positioned in a wacky way, that becomes a lot more complicated and it's a little more difficult. So what you're looking for is some sort of landmark on that stack from your point of view that uh, gives you a center point. And that's it. <clears throat> that's what you're looking for. You do that with figure drawing. You do that with any composition in front of you. <clears throat> with loose sketching in a, in a, in a landscape, it can, it can also work that way too. This is an important exercise in com- composition. It, it, it is in very intentional. That means there will be no accidents about where you're composing. And, and as you get better at composing for effect, then you will have greater control over how you start your drawings. So that's center points. After you have found the center points on the object using your pencil, here's what you do. You mark the center of your paper. That's it. If you want to fill the paper, you use the whole paper. If you want to fill a space within the paper, you pick that space and you mark that center point. Then you mark a top and a bottom. And you could do that using measurement as well on your paper. Usually the pencil's big enough that you can use the entire pencil to figure out from the center line you've drawn how much goes up here, how much goes down here, right? Usually. With a very big piece of paper, this becomes complicated. You're going to need a bigger implement. But still, it works out. This is kind of like the gridding system that the Renaissance artists used to, to scale their drawings up, their practice drawings up. It's very similar. It's, it, there are uh, ratios, right? And the ratio of the small measurement you took in the air using your thumb is, is you, you make an equivalent ratio on the paper using whatever else measurement. You have to be good at going back and forth between those two ratios. It's very important to understand that part. And that's how you start. Mark a center on your space. Create a ratio of top and bottom, side to side. And use that ratio to get started. What you've basically done is mapped out very first thing the middle points, horizontally and vertically, of the piece you're looking at. You've created an orientation on a paper, and you've begun the exercise of composition, which is a, is a multi-part, multi-faceted sort of activity. But it is one of the most important activities in drawing, if not the most important, because a nice composition works even if you're not 
good at drawing, uh, rendering detail and whatever. A nice composition feels good, even in an abstract piece, and it's important to understand that. But we're talking about, of course, about a subjective representational observational drawing. Okay, I've rambled on enough about that, but I think I got somewhere this time. Uh, is that a drawing? Uh, how to how to get started? How to break the ice there? Okay, this is Lenny Angelo. <clears throat>